Hi, and welcome to the Kudzu Radio Hour number 109 with Buffalo and Billy, special apocalypse edition. This podcast was recorded on Saturday, June 27th, 2020. Brought to you by the fine folks at Springer Mountain Farms, fresh organic chicken, responsibly raised on family farms with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts ever. Get more information or order online at SpringerMountain.com. That's SpringerMTN.com. Not only is Springer Mountain Chicken healthier for you, it also tastes great. It really does. Well, let's set the mood for today's discussion of television music shows of the 70s and 80s with a little bit of Credence Clearwater Revival. Let that midnight special shine its ever-loving light on you. you to the table you see the same old thing ain't no food upon a table there's no fog up in the pan but you better not complain boy You get in trouble with the man Let the midnight special Shine a light on me Let the midnight special Shine a light on me Let the midnight special
All right. Credence Clearwater Revival. Let the midnight special sign of several of light on me. That's right. Pretty appropriate song for today's discussion, building off of last week's MTV discussion. This week, our esteemed panel of armchair experts are going to talk about music shows of the 70s and 80s, including the Midnight Special, ABC's In Concert, Don Kirshner's Rock Concert, etc., Austin City Limits, Soul Train, etc. So please make welcome my co-host Billy Eli as, uh, and uh, our uh, returning guest, all the way from Austin, Tejas, Mr. Jim Hemphill and Patrick Beach. So Billy, Jimmy, and Pat. Whoa, it sounds like the Three Stooges. Welcome on, folks. Woo! Hey, Bill, how you doing? I'm doing fair to partly cloudy. I'm glad to see you guys. Good to be well, back, man. It's always good to be back. How's everything, how's everything in Spartanburg? Spartanburg uh, is the same... As it was the last week. As same as it was last week. People are still going... Uh, to the Ingalls without wearing their masks and while socially distancing, <laughs> except for me, I'm the only person that wears a mask not, and does social right. distancing at the grocery oh, store. I was going to say you're the only one. That but can they're the getting ready to pass a <laughs> See, I can't, I can't hear. If I turn it up too loud to hear, then I, oh God, that's crazy. Anyway, they're getting ready to, I think they said they were passing a law now uh, starting Monday that restaurants and grocery stores, if you go in to shop or anything, you've got to wear a mask or you can be fined like a hundred bucks. It's already that way in Greenville, just 25 miles away. So now we're getting in Spartanburg too. Anyway, how's how's everything in Austin? It's, it's, you know, it's going. It's Austin. Well, you know, no matter who's in Austin, Bob Wills is still the king. So that's right. They, they shut down the bars yesterday. They had oh, to be open, and now they they're shutting them back down. Oh well, no! There goes uh, there goes Austin. There goes keeping Austin weird. Yeah, <laughs> this is doing, this is doing weird weird things to us. Like you know, the mask becoming a political issue, and it's doing weird things with time. I woke I woke my wife up this morning. I said, "Honey, you're going to be late for work." She said, "Oh God, I I only slept for about four hours." And also, it's Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, my fr- I have a friend in California. I chat with. Go where. Every message I get starts with "Happy Same Day." Quit <laughs> naming days of the week. It's happy Same Day, and uh, so uh, this week's this week's topic, man, is should be a should be a barn burner. Yeah, really, real, really. Um, I want to say this. Uh, I think that uh, this is a technical thing, but I think everybody else is talking. I can hear fine, but Patrick's for some reason. Maybe he's just a low talker. No. Uh, is that any better? I can get a little closer. I, I can hear him fine. Can you? Yeah. Testing one, to... testing one. Isn't this I a can, I can now. Yeah, I get okay. better now. Right. Better now? Better now. Um, well, we so, wanna, but... before we get on the topic, I want to go ahead and knock out the um, our, our recommendations for this week because we're and trying to help people who are locked in uh, with their choices of books, a book, a movie, and an album. And in doing so, we're just trying to sway your opinion. So, 
See, I thought we were I thought we were just doing this so people locked in would feel better about themselves for not being locked in with us. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what that's, thought, that's what I thought. That goes was, without saying, I, really. I didn't, I didn't realize we were trying to sway anybody's opinion. I just thought we were providing them a you know a glass a, a sort of silver lining and this whole thing. I'm locked down. What they call value added. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, let's do this. Let's 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 get Patrick first. Okay. All right. Uh, book and movie are both. Or, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, book and record are both fairly uh, fairly recent. Um, <clears throat> last year, this friend of mine <clears throat> in Austin named Stephen Harrigan published a brand new history of Texas. It's called Big Wonderful Thing, which is a quote from Georgia O'Keeffe, who lived in Texas for a brief while, and uh, it it. Uh, it's it's a good time killer in these times because it's 900 pages long. Oh gosh! Um, and uh, it's absolutely fantastic. He's he's just a he's a phrase maker. He's got wonderful language, and he quotes all these old letters and speeches and things like that. And it's just fascinating for generations. The uh, standard text of Texas history was Lone Star by T. R. Fahrenbach, and it, it, it wasn't his aim to supplant that, but he has and he's made it a lot more conclusive a lot more uh a lot more diverse and uh a more complete history of this weird wonderful complex state uh it's fantastic it's absolutely fantastic it came out late last year uh but at 900 pages it could take you a good while to read and i recommend it very much uh, the record is also recent. Uh, Jason Isbell's new one, Reunions, just oh. blew my head off. Uh, um, absolutely phenomenal songwriting, and it it feels like in places he's really kind of taken the guitar playing up a notch or two. Um, I keep thinking about, you know, I hope, I hope Isbell every year on the anniversary of him getting fired from the drive-by truckers for being too drunk for the drive-by truckers, I hope he sends them a <laughs> I hope he sends them a thank you card because, you know, he's, he's selling out three nights at the Moody theater here in Austin and the truckers are doing good. If they can sell out two nights at the scoop, <laughs> but it's just a terrific record. The movie is not recent, but we recently watched it because last Sunday was father's day. I got to pick the movie and we watched for about the 900th time raising Arizona. God, one of my yes. all time favorites. One of my all time favorites. <laughs> I hadn't seen that in a while. I need to pull that one back out. Oh, we can, we, the whole family can quote the whole damn thing, but uh, I'm always struck in that movie uh, by the by the dialogue, and I always yeah. describe it as sort of Baroque, but that's not exactly the word that I was searching for, and so I threw it out to Facebook Nation, this friend of mine came back and said, you might be thinking of the antediluvian, which is just kind of perfect, <laughs> sort of like excessively anach- anachronistic and ornate, and uh, so yeah, it's a uh, in the L-A-F-F riots. Check it out. If you By far the best thing Nick Cage ever did, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, was, uh, he was really, yeah. And who's, who's the girl that played his wife? Was it Holly? Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter. God, yeah. she was great in that. And the guy, the guy who plays uh, Nathan Arizona, I forget his name and forgive me for that because he just, he just passed on. He was from Houston. He, that actor was from Houston. Yeah, well, I can't. I can't call his name, but yeah, he's he's the best actor in the movie. Yeah. Well, that's a good one, man. All right, Jim. 
All right. Um, let's start with the record. And it is a kind of a reissue. The artist is Roger C. Real. Roger, middle initial C, last name Real, R-E-A-L-E, and his band Rue Morgue. And it's called The Collection, and there's a story behind it, and I'll make it as quick as possible. Roger C. Real was a, a guy up in the northeastern U.S., I think Connecticut or somewhere around there, uh, who, uh, who was a musician and in the late 70s was really influenced by Elvis Costello and Graham Parker and a bunch of stuff like that. And he knew some guys with a small record <laughs> studio, and he said, this is the kind of stuff you should be putting out. And he wrote some songs, and he plays bass. And he put together, he needed a band, so he put, he talked to his friends and he got this drummer who'd just come off the road with the band Sparks named Hilly Michaels. Hilly Michaels played drums and there was a local hotshot, you know, local band uh, guitar player named George. And he called up George and George came down and learned the songs and they recorded this record pretty much live in the studio. George went on to become G.E. Smith, who played with- Oh, Saturday Night Live, man. Hall and Oates and Saturday Night Live band. And, and back in the day, he was into that Elvis Costello, Graham Parker kind of early uh, stuff. And uh, so they recorded a record. It came out, it's called uh, Radioactive. And then they recorded a second record, except they got a different guitar player. They got, uh, uh, they got, uh, uh, oh God, seed your moment. You know, the guy who, uh, uh, Mick Ronson, Jesus, Mick Ronson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mick Ronson played guitar on the second record that never came out, but it's part of this CD. Roger C. Reel and Rue Morgue, the collection. Great, no frills, guitar, bass, drums, live in the studio, rock and roll. My book is uh, something we mentioned last week is uh, Trouble Boys, the story of the band, The Replacements. An excellent book, and it, it, it just tells you a lot, not just about what they did, but where they came from. And I think that's one of the most fascinating parts of the book is it fills in a lot of background on the band. If you haven't heard the replacements, go out and buy Pat's recommendation from last week, let it be right now. And, uh, and then, uh, so it's a, it's really one of the better rock biographies I've read in the past decade for sure. It, it's absolutely, I, I heartily second that. And it goes especially deep and, and painfully so into the troubled childhoods of the Stinson brothers, particularly Bob. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. Yeah. And then for the movie, um, this is one of my family's favorites. So it's a family movie. It's it's uh, a Tom Hanks movie called That Thing You Do. Oh, gosh, which, yes. Which is kind of the uh, PG-rated version of uh, Spinal Tap for those of us <laughs> in bands because, it you know, it's two movies in one. It's kind of a romantic comedy, which I can take or leave, but it's also about being in a band. And being in a band that, that that has a little bit of success for the first time, and that part of it is amazing. The Wonders, the or the Oneaters. Oneaters. From now on, you're the Wonders, as in I wonder what happened to the Oneaters. There is so, there are so many great lines. One of my bands played a, a gig in Phoenix once, and before the before we started our first song, I looked at the drummer and said, "Take us there, Skitch." And the drummer from one of the other bands was backstage and he put his arms in the air and said, I am Spartacus. It's like an <laughs> language is like spinal tap. So uh, that thing you do, great movie. That's those are mine. All right. Well Billy Eli, you're next and while you're doing that, I gotta grab something. I'll be right back. I didn't uh, feel free to talk amongst yourselves. Okay. I was, thanks thanks for cluing me in. I was gonna do that anyway. 
yeah. Um, uh, it was. I got to thinking about out. I'm gonna start with an album. Uh, my album. Uh, for this, my recommendation. Is we were talking. I don't think it was last week. It was a couple weeks ago, maybe we were talking about. Uh, we were talking about country rock and and you know the uh, the kind of mush of rock and roll musicians that were playing uh, that started playing country and we talked about all the real pioneers you know and Graham Parsons and the guys in the birds and but uh, you, you remember that eighty one album by uh, Elvis Costello Almost Blue? Sure, sure. Yeah, sure. That was you know in a lot of ways that that could be held up as like really and truly the first honest to God country rock record. There wasn't a country musician on it. I mean, the guys that played on that, they, they weren't quasi, they weren't, you know, bluegrass guys that, that it converted over to rock and then started playing country. I mean, they were mostly British punk guys, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Most of, most of the personnel and all the, and all, and there, and there wasn't, it wasn't gospel and it wasn't bluegrass. It was classic traditional country. It was Hank Williams. It was George Jones. You know, I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't Ralph Stanley or, or, you know, Appalachian hillbilly music that they were uh, using to, you know, that they were, uh, damn, what am I trying to say now? I'm having a senior moment. Psychedelian up, you know, uh, but I, I don't know if y'all remember at the time, Right after that came out, he did. Uh, there was a concert. There was a concert that that he did that HBO uh, put. It, they they televised it, and and he had all these guests just come up and do their do the song with him. And uh, I don't. That was. I mean, I heard punk rock, of course, because uh, and some new wave stuff. Because I had to listen to Blondie and Ramones, and we talked all about that, but. But that was uh, that was the first time for me. And in '81, I had just graduated high school, so uh, that was the first time for me that it, that I don't know new wave and, 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 and punk oriented stuff kind of transcended being pop or garage band stuff. You know, I mean, because there was all that traditional country that I had always listened to, George Jones and and and. Uh, Wow, and then there it is, and this guy is a British new wave dude, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my recommendation for anybody that uh, anybody that likes country rock or country or hell new wave or Elvis Costello. Yeah. And uh, so that was my that was my album and uh, my movie. I finally two nights ago got around to watching uh, the 2017 uh, Wonder Woman movie. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a big Marvel comics or any kind of superhero comic stuff. I mean, I, you know, I watch them. A lot uh, people would say, "Hey, you ought to check this movie out," and I'm like, "Yeah, I don't really care for superhero movies." And they're like, "You should watch it. It's not, it's not what you're. It's it's going to be better than you think." And of course, you know, the production on it and everything, and the. Uh, CGI and and I mean that was just eye popping. But I tell you what was really uh, cool to me about that movie they didn't they didn't sexualize the Amazons, man. I mean they were they were they were badass. I mean you know they didn't they didn't have them dressed up you know like a like a bad layout for penthouse or something. 
And, Billy, and, Billy, Billy uh, look, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you may or may not be aware that there is some evidence now, and I think it was excavated after the movie came out, but there were actual Amazons, like somewhere in what is now Russia, or maybe Mongolia. They had these female warriors, they were buried with their weapons and their spears and things like that. Right, yeah, well, you know, I mean, right, and... Yeah, it's uh, but I, I really like I really like that movie, and I didn't actually pick the book because, well, I just didn't. But here's what <laughs> I, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and pick one anyway because uh, I don't read. <laughs> right? What was no? What was the uh, uh, what was the book you you picked, uh, Pat, and uh, about Texas? It's 900 pages long, and you said it's the Planet of Fahrenheit book, Texas. Yeah, it's called Big Wonderful Thing by Stephen yeah, Harrigan. Well, I'm going to pick the other book, Texas by Fahrenbach, because I've only read that like eight times. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, uh, and, and anybody, you know what? You don't even have to be, you don't even really have to be that interested in Texas to like that book. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, you know, the, I really like the prehistoric element of it. That was my favorite mm-hmm. part. When it, when it got up to the, when it got up to the parts about uh, when it got up to the parts about Texas that uh, you know that are kind of modern day, well, I didn't find that nearly so mysterious and charming, having been born and raised in Texas. I will say one thing uh, that Fernbach touched on in that book that I, that I think is still very much uh, relevant right at this moment in time, and it's something that we're seeing on the news and and. Uh, he, he kind of points out in there some attitudes uh, about uh, some attitudes about about the way modern Texans are, and it's it, it, uh, he doesn't he doesn't really state this; it's implied. You'd, you'd have to read it six or seven times, like I have. <laughs> but uh, but he he implies that there's a uh, there's a there's a mentality among a lot of a lot of native texans and, and i guess maybe the transplants too that until every other state in the union is perfect you should never criticize texas <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and the reason i said that's relevant now i mean that's kind of the thing that we're that we're seeing in the i mean we're kind of seeing that play out right now on the news and, and the political divisions in our country and it's like uh especially with the black lives matter protest and those things coming up and there's I, i've noticed an attitude of, of some people that do not support blm that well you know there's other races there's other people racist besides just you know white people so you know and and, and what about black on black crime I, I brought that up because my mother brought that up a couple of days ago yeah. uh, black on black crime in chicago and you know it that's that mindset thing of uh, that's that mindset thing of just don't don't credit don't criticize me until you're absolutely perfect. When you are absolutely perfect, then you can criticize. Then you can point out where I'm not perfect. Anyway, uh, them are my three. I got I got to tell a quick T.R. Fahrenbach story, if I may, because he was quite a character too, and a and a real wordsmith. But, uh, that's he one of the was, things uh, I love about knowing you guys, man. All, all this cool stuff that I've read, like Ben Sargent, you know, I was a fan of his for years, and y'all both know him. And, and again, that Farnbach book, I did. I read mine literally till the pages dropped out of the book. Man. 
so I was uh, I was in I was in Washington. I was in Washington covering the first inauguration of George W. Bush, and uh, it was you know we were writing tons of stories about what it was going to be like to have the first Texan since Lyndon Johnson in the White House. <clears throat> and I called up Fahrenbach in San Antonio, and I said, you know, people are talking about how we're gun crazy, Wild West, yada yada yada. And what do you, what do you think? How is this going to roll nationally? And Fahrenbach said, we're Texans. We like guns. We like people who like guns. We don't like people who don't like guns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. You know, oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Bob. No, I was going to say, you, you finish up. I'm going to do mine when you get when you get through. You got I, something well, else? I was, well, no, I was just going to point out that's kind of funny on this panel because we have, well, I'm sort of, you know, am I a New Englander? Well, I really consider myself more of a. Texas expatriate, <laughs> you know, you know how that goes. But uh, I'm only. We should do this on a different show. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and bookmark it here, so we know to bring it up on some future show. I'd really like to hear uh, Jim and Pat talk about what the culture shock was like. I mean, because you guys have lived like real plays. I mean, you're from Iowa, and I know that it's rural, and I know that a lot of it is really conservative, like Texas is. But I mean, I was not a place where nobody. You know, no, nobody's fighting anybody in Iowa over, you know, disrespecting the Iowa State flag. Yeah. The Iowa State flag, yeah. You don't get that thing in Iowa. We were our own country. Yeah. Go ahead, Buff. Yeah, I just wanted to bookmark that. So in case I thought Texas was its own country, though. Um, it, was, it was, but Iowa was By God, we can be again. <laughs> I, yeah, Iowa was not, though. Okay, I gotcha. <laughs> you, know, you know what nobody has a tattoo of? The Iowa State flag. <laughs> and if you've got the Mississippi one, you've got to have it taken off your arm. Yeah, please. Uh, okay, uh, go ahead, Buff. Book. Okay, I'm going to run the complete opposite. From the 900-page book to a uh, book that is 100 pages, I've got a review coming out in the next kudzu. Um, this is brand new from a friend of mine named James Calamine. He's an author, uh, lives down in Brunswick, Georgia. And uh, he had this book finished before coronavirus. It's called The Road to Hell. And it's little short fiction stories, um, and they all kind of tie together, um, dealing with different things that we're going through in the world, from mass shootings to road rage to, you know, all this kind of stuff. And he he went back in uh, right before publication, the virus hit, so he went back and wrote a... uh, a little short story dealing with the uh, with the virus. Um, it's called the Grand Princess. Yeah, but the 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 book uh, the book goes. It's got. I mean, the best some of the best writing in this one hundred page book. And I told him, I said, you know, I would I would put it on par with Pat Conroy, Larry Brown, William Faulkner any of that uh, I, I just think that uh, he just did an outstanding job and like I said you can read the whole thing in one sitting 
or you can, you know, break them up, just, you know, read one at a time, and they're real short. Plus, he's got his photography interspersed throughout it to kind of add to it. And, uh, I mean, it goes, not all the stories are, are bad. There's one uh, that takes place at uh, Rose Hill Cemetery, and it's a, it's the grave diggers who are getting ready to dig the grave for Greg Allman. And they're wow. just talking about how much he changed their lives. It's really a quite, quite touching little piece. And then uh, and he talks about, he's got one about Blind Willie McTell here. I'm looking at the book now. Um, he's got all these different things. And the last story in it is UFOs over the Okefenokee Swamp. So, I mean, it just runs the gamut. Great book, man. The Road to Hell. Snake Nation. Movie. Snake Nation <laughs> Press. That sounds great. Very, very, very good. Um, album, I'm going to go back to 1989, and an album called A Change in the Weather by Gregson and Collister, who I didn't even know who that was. Uh, it came, I was doing Edge Magazine in Greenville, <laughs> and I kept getting all these review things, and this came in, and I played it, and it just hooked me in. Clive Gregson and Christine Collister and her voice and Jim shaking his head. Yes, her yes, voice kills Great me. Choice. She has a range that goes <clears throat> for, uh, sounding almost male to going way up high. And uh, there was a song on there called This Is The Deal about uh, spouse abuse, of all things. But that song is, is so catchy. So I go digging into it to find out that uh, that Clive was in the band Any Trouble, and then he went on to work with Richard Thompson, and uh, and you know and he and Christine did six albums together, and this is the only one I had. So now I'm I'm looking to get the others and hear them too. It is great yes. from start to finish. I mean, it's just so, like really yeah, good. I I, that's a great i'm sorry to jump in but that's that's great and it's some sometime in 80 no, 83 84 i saw richard thompson with clive and christine in his band oh god um, richard thompson's great fantastic that, show it's a great was that, at the, was that at the maintenance shop it was at the maintenance shop in okay, Ames, yeah, Iowa. Yeah. i was there yeah yep. yeah i went to the, see uh, richard one uh the only time i ever saw him it was i went to see him because of one song that i had heard called bees wing and I loved that song so much. I was like, I didn't even know about, you know, the whole, uh, what was it, Fairport Convention and all that stuff. Yeah. I didn't know anything about that at the time. Anyway, you know, I'm going to wrap this up because I'm taking too long. But uh, that, the I movie, one more thing. I got the oh, movie sorry. yesterday in the mail on Blu-ray. And it's called Street Survivors. And it's the story of the Leonard Skinner plane crash. But it is... Uh, told from my buddy Artemis Powell, the drummer from the band, he told me years ago he wanted to do this, and uh, it's his point of view of the whole thing from, uh, you know, the details of the plane crash and everything. Well, I thought, you know, this can't be too good because it went straight, kind of straight to DVD. Comes with a Blu-ray a DVD and a soundtrack CD, and I thought, well, how good can the soundtrack CD? 
be because I know the Skinner guys told him he couldn't use any Leonard Skinner music in it at all. So uh, him and his sons, Marshall and Chris, wrote or put together a bunch of songs, Southern rock songs, and I'm going to tell you, their songs on there is as good as anything I've ever heard. They're just rocking out. I mean, really good. And then the, the title track, Street Survivors, was written by Warren Haynes. And, uh, it, and it's played by Artemis Paul Band. And, um, so anyway, the soundtrack's good. But the, the And, you know, I looked at the picture on the poster and I was like, that don't even look like Ronnie Van Zandt. It don't look like the Skinner guys or anything. But when you're watching the movie, the people, the actors were so good, they started looking more like the people. Because the guy that was playing Ronnie Van Zant had the attitude, <laughs> the whole attitude, the whole, it kind of laid back, but then at the same time, volatile, ready to fist fight, and they're, you know, it's real. It's like, it's got the, all the topless girls backstage, and, uh, People spilling out Leonard Skinner on the table and cocaine and Ronnie's sucking it all up his nose. It's got, you know, all, everybody's smoking weed and drinking beers and uh, cussing to beat the band. I mean, it's unrated, you know, unrated. But uh, just a very detailed. And I, I'm going to tell you something here. I just had my 63rd birthday. Happy birthday, Michael. Uh, two, day, two, day, two days, uh, three days ago, but 63 years old, and I can still be moved to tears by a damn movie. But when the plane crash starts happening, the engines die down, they did it so well, it just wrecked me to watch everybody's faces on the plane as it's going down, knowing that they probably are going to die. I mean, it was so realistic. I mean, and then, of course, I lived through it, too, was at that last concert uh, the night before the plane crash. So it was kind of weird. But anyway, Street Survivors on Cleopatra video, highly recommended. Okay. You know, if, 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 uh, if they weren't allowed to, uh, to use any Skinner songs, drive-by truckers have uh, four full sides about that band. <laughs> Yes, Southern Rock Opera. It's a very long song. Yeah. 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 That was a great Southern Rock Opera. And uh, Rob Fennell or something, I can't think of his name, wrote, have you seen these little books? They're called 33 and a Third. Sure. Where they do the albums. He did Southern Rock Opera. Ah, well. In detail. I mean, God. I was going to do one, and they just pitching the book to them is like they want you to have you know, all this stuff that you got to prove to them. Because I was wanting to do a, at Fillmore East, but I don't oh, know nice. if I could fill up a book talking about it. <laughs> I could be like him and just, you know, just, you know, talk about, you know, things that kind of tie into it, I guess, but. Anyway, uh, all that being said, I'm going to shut the F up. Uh, let's see. The um, topic of discussion today is dun, da, 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 dun, music TV shows of the 70s, 80s. Alex, I'll take music TV shows of the 70s, 80s for 100 bucks. And uh, where do we begin? 
I would I don't think we would begin with any of them. I would say the midnight special before Wolfman Jack was hosting it. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, there are two different distinct periods. The midnight special when they had guest hosts and then after it got real popular and the Wolfman was hosting, it was still pretty good, but it wasn't quite as good because they didn't have as much performance beforehand. Each band would be on there for like three or four times. And I got exposed to countless bands because of that show uh that and in concert that came on right before it on abc right that's the one i first saw kiss I, on which I is uh, yeah, me too I, me too I have, a, I have a question for the panel uh everybody answering this is about the uh it's about the midnight special and this is you know it's really kind of a fluff question but i'm gonna try and fluff question it so, it, so it sounds smarter <laughs> yeah here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna ask a question and then i'm gonna let pat make it sound smarter because he's good because he's good at that man. yeah yeah he can he can he can dress up fluff like nobody i've ever seen i'll give it a try uh, i'm here for you here, Billy. well here was well here was the thing uh and and i, I everybody here knows everybody else's background you know i mean y'all were from podunk iowa i was from podunk southeast texas uh you know, we didn't we didn't get a lot of uh, diversity in, in culture and stuff like that. We had this conversation over uh, uh, music magazines and bands that we saw. Uh, what's a what's a moment? What's something that you saw on one of these shows? But I'm I would say Midnight Special, but any of them are, would would be fine. What's something you saw that you were just like, my God, I can't believe that it would. I mean that it, it didn't necessarily have to be a transformative thing for you. For anybody but something that you're like it just kind of hit you that things like that are out there and i'm gonna tell you what mine was i had i had heard of uh i had heard of alice cooper of course yeah i, I didn't ever realize that when you're listening to his music you're supposed to be watching the stage show it's a performance right. piece man it, it's not it's not like a band of musicians that got together and wrote songs and, and went in a studio and recorded them exactly it was you know, I mean, it was it was a movie. It was gothic performance and the guillotine and the snake and all that stuff was what made the songs all flow. And uh, he was, this was like, uh, it might have been a welcome. Yeah, it was a welcome to my nightmare period. And and Midnight Special let him have like the whole damn night. He did the, you know, I, I mean, it, it went on for like 25 minutes or something. And he was doing his stage piece, you know, the one where... It starts out and he, he's like at an award show and then he pretends to go nuts and then he smoke comes up and then he's in his makeup and, <laughs> and the music keeps playing and it all flows into itself and it ends with him being guillotined and all that stuff. <laughs> and, and I remember, you know, I was about, I don't know, 12 and I was like, oh yeah, okay, I get, I get this now. <laughs> it's right. It wasn't supposed to have been an album that you buy and listen to, you know. I meant like whatever other album you had bought and listened to, like Peter Frampton or something, man. I mean, uh -huh. you needed to see the visuals and all that for it to make sense. And that would have never, you know, at 12, that never would have happened to me if it hadn't been for the Midnight Special because I wasn't old enough to go see him at the Summit or anything, you know. And so any any of y'all have, have a similar 
experience? Well, I, yeah, the, the first time I saw one of my, to, to, to who, a band that to this day is one of my favorite bands was on Don Kirshner's rock concert, and it was the New York Dolls. Yeah, baby. And, <laughs> uh, of course. Of and course. it was just like, what the hell is this? This is one of the <laughs> coolest things I have ever seen in my life. And uh, gosh, it must have been, I maybe 13, yeah, 14, something like that. Yeah. And uh, that obtaining a recording wait, of the wait, New York Jim, Dolls. Jim, 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 is that why our band plays in drag? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, well, drag is such a such a loaded term. It I mean, really they, is. They weren't. They weren't really. That's racist, man. That's racist. There's, there's, there's lots. Of, there's lots of pictures of them, but live they were. They were androgynous. Oh, they sure but, were. But they just were such great gut level music, and and obtaining them recordings of them in Central Iowa proved elusive. And, uh, <laughs> To say the least. <laughs> so the first the first time uh, I actually you know got to sit down and hear it is I had a friend who worked at a gas station that also was a convenience store, and when we were sixteen years old, and they had bargain eight track bin, and God, I remember those. It was, oh it was, yes, it was the holiday. Two for five dollars, three for five dollars. It was the holiday on South Center Street in Marshalltown, I Iowa. There. I worked there. You know, I worked there. I, I know. And my friend Bo worked there before you. And in addition to, you know, bringing home Penthouse and Hustler and things like that, he also <laughs> yeah. he also would dip into the bargain eight-track racks and both New York Dolls albums were there one day. And uh, Was it the bootleg eight-tracks, the ones that uh, that you could get three for five dollars? Yeah, it was something like they that. They used to I mean, sell they, a crap out of those here in Spartanburg. And, and I, I'm sure they were out of print and they had been remaindered and cause you could, but uh, anyway, we just spent hours listening to that and I oh somehow boy. rigged up an eight track to dub it down to cassette and had it in my car. And, and so anyway, that was the, that was probably the beginning of my corruption uh, into uh, unclean music. Did you turn trash up to kind a, of music. play trash at 11 on your volume yeah. thing. So anyway, it was New York Dolls on Don Kirshner Rock Concert. Just, oh, yes. It was, it was transformative. What about you, Pat? Well, uh, if I may, I'd like to sort of like uh, flip your question and, and give you an answer <laughs> about seeing something on that show that was <clears throat> not so much transformative as galvanizing. You guys have all got some years on me. And so I don't have a lot of memories of watching. Well, no, not bragging. <laughs> just, uh, it's just the truth. But uh, as we say in Texas, <laughs> it ain't bragging if it's true. <laughs> but as we, uh, as, as we say in Texas, we were our own country. Go pardon ahead. me while I take my <laughs> rheumatism <laughs> medicine. No, go, go ahead, Pat. As I was saying, since <laughs> you guys have some years on me, I didn't spend a lot of time in pursuit of or making midnight special appointment viewing. Because by the time I was in high school, in large part because of the corrupting influence of Jim Hemphill and the New York Dolls, <laughs> I was I had a part I, had, I was a full time high school student of course I had a part time job at that holiday station and I had another full time job turning into a fucking rock snob. And uh, <laughs> the one the one memory of uh, seeing the Midnight Special aside from clips that you can see on YouTube these days and all that is seeing uh, Neil Sedaka pudgy preening 
mincing churlishly oh, Neil Sedaka doing Calendar Girl. I, actually, uh, I actually saw that at the I did too, yeah. And I watched yeah. that and I was like, I'm going to spend the rest of my life being insufferable. And I have. So, yeah, good job, true, Neil. True. And it's, <laughs> and it's, hey, but let me just say, Pat, it really works for you. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, you know, most music snobs, I'm just like, yeah, I'm not going to listen to but about five minutes of this bullshit because you don't actually know anything. When, and like you just said, it's not bragging if it's true. <laughs> Well, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna cheat. I've got. I can't decide, so I'm gonna make them short between three moments. Two of them were. Let's see. One of them was the first one was in concert, 1973. Alice Cooper, first time I ever saw him on TV. But we were in Spart in Spartanburg. They were doing the Killer uh, show on MTV, the Killer tour, and uh, the first five minutes showed, and all of a sudden the screen went black. And I found out <laughs> later that that they had censored it in our area because it was the Alice Cooper show was just too bad, too top, much. Man, it was just too damaging. And now, as an old man, I have the thing, crystal clear DVD. I can watch it all I want to. So screw them. What, the what other one, the other second one, quickly, MT, I mean, Midnight Special, mid-70s, Bowie, the 1980 floor show. Uh, the entire show was David Bowie and his Ziggy red hair doing all these songs. He had Marion Faithful in there and he had uh, the Trogs playing Wild Thing and he had all that kind of stuff. But that was the first time I'd ever seen him. And Which show, Buff? I'm sorry, I missed it. Buff. The Midnight Specials, okay, okay. David Bowie, yeah. 1973, uh, 1980 Floor Show, they call it. And then, you know, everybody in my high school was saying, I was saying, you guys see that David Bowie? Or they go, David Bowie? He's a faggot. Bowie. Yeah. He's a faggot. I'm like, right. no, and I don't care if he is. I'm talking about his music, not him. Well, yeah, but people can't understand that. People couldn't understand that, you know. Okay, quickly. Thirdly. Don Kushner's rock concert, Don Kushner, 1973, <laughs> Saturday night in Macon, Georgia, was what changed, turned me into the ambassador of Southern Rock because that was the night on Don Kushner, live from Macon, Georgia, they had the Almond Brothers, Marshall Tucker Band, uh, Wet Willie, and Martin Mull. And uh, Wet Willie was playing on the street that afternoon. And then that night at the Grand Opera House, it was Tucker and Almond Brothers. And I had, you know, in 73, I had just discovered our hometown guys, Marshall Tucker. And yeah. I didn't know, you know, somebody had said something, you know, the original Marshall Tucker guy was a blind piano tuner that they named the band after. So I just heard the word blind. And then in the, con in the show, 
toy, Caldwell, was hanging his head down. And I thought, oh, that's that blind guy. That's the blind guy. <laughs> I thought he was blind because he never looked up. And oh, that's it was, perfect. He <laughs> was smoking it on that guitar with his thumb. And uh, I'm like, you know, and what was so cool was that when the doors to the opera house opened up on the video, all these people come running in and the Jimmy Hall and the Wet Willie guys are in the front running down to get seats in the front of the auditorium. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. Uh, that whole show, even Martin Mull playing uh, blues on a ukulele with a baby bottle for a slide. He's actually quite a, quite an accomplished musician. Yeah, and painter. Yeah. He's, yeah. We went to see his uh, art. Uh, my wife and I saw his art exhibit, exhibit in Greenville and met him. And I wanted to ask him questions about Capricorn and all. He didn't want to talk about that. He only wanted to talk about his visual art. He didn't want to talk about right. his acting on Mary Hartman or any right. of that stuff. Right. He wanted to stay on point. Stay on point, and, which is something I need to do. And speaking of staying <laughs> on point, here's my here's my next question. So, uh, and it's a flip from that last one. We just talked about transformative thing. Uh, now, let's talk about an episode or something you saw on any of those shows that... Uh, I'll tell you what, let's make a two-part question. Uh, the last, something that you saw on there that made you think that possibly you had outgrown the show and weren't going to watch it anymore, mine was seeing, uh, mine was seeing, uh, good God, Rick Dees and his cast of idiots doing Disco Duck. Oh, that's uh, that, You remember that horrible, horrible thing? Nick could ruin and, you and for that life. Was, yeah, and I saw that one on uh, I saw that one on the Midnight Special, and you know that wasn't the last time I watched it, but that was when I stopped making a point to be in front of the TV when it came on, and uh, not not at the moment transformative thing that held up and played larger the further along the longer you live. And mine was seeing on Don Kirshner's rock concert. Uh, this would have been about seventy five, maybe. Uh, uh, Roger McGuinn, uh, y'all remember that song? He had peace on you. Yeah, he was. He yeah, he was. He he played that. He was on Don Kirshner and he did that. And he had. It was weird. He had a band behind him, but it was you know mostly him and his acoustic guitar. And he had. Uh, he had. I don't know three or four girls singing backup for him, and I, I just. You know, it wasn't like a big band thing. It wasn't really an act. It was just a guy sitting playing the guitar that was like a popsy tune. You know, I, I mean, I've seen guys like Jim Croce and stuff play, but where it's supposed to be deep and sincere. And this was, I mean, that was so obviously a good joke that he, that he was telling. And anyway, so that that played longer. That that that, that kind of sense of humor and, and, and that kind of thing, man, I mean, I, I still write sort of like that sometimes uh like cheese enchiladas and, and yeah uh, i love that, that i mean you know well i mean I, I try to put that little subtle humor thing in there and then so a long-term thing that happened and then when you you know if, if there was a clip uh, a definitive moment where you were like yeah i've probably outgrown this mine was seeing rick d's and his cast of idiots on the midnight special yeah yeah mine was mine wasn't a it was more of a gradual thing i mean my my memory isn't that great, but it seems to be like in concert and Don Kirshner's rock concert, both of which I love because they were live. Right. Both were bands playing right. live. They weren't right. 
thinking they weren't it, it seems like they went away before the midnight special and maybe the midnight special lasted longer i don't know buff if you've got yeah, that. i did but 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 i midnight special in my recollection just started being less and less actual live stuff and more lip sync stuff A lot of lip syncing yeah yeah and that's kind of when i i just was like you know i'm not any any particular examples I'm gonna... i i just i can't you know i just can't think of anything it just right. seemed to get it seemed to get more pop and right. more lip syncy well, and that they i mean you know i i don't think in the late you know they I think the dolls played on the midnight special too. And by the late seventies, they weren't having bands like that on, yeah. you know? And so that's kind of, that's kind of my recollection is uh, it just didn't seem as rock, real rock and roll, which was, you know, started to be a little more, a little more packaged, you know, when more... you're 17, 18 years old, you're like, you know, the rock and roll. And it just didn't seem to hold up anymore. Well, I never yeah. missed the midnight special, but I tell you, I got to a point where uh, they were having, you know, when disco came in, and they were putting a lot of those people on there. I was like, "Oh, come on! I don't want to watch Gloria Gaynor, or you and, know." And a lot of that, a lot of that stuff was lip sync too. Yeah, it was. Well, I mean, even with lip sync, even when they had Kiss on them in that special in '75, they were lip syncing Black Diamond, and I was like, "Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me?" But I mean, they had a lot of that on there. You're right. And the thing about I, I loved the in concert show, like you said, and the Don Cursor. You're right, because the live is the way you want to hear it. It's like the Midnight Special is more like. You remember the show Solid Gold? Yeah. yeah. They had, you know, they would have like Marshall Tucker or somebody on there, and they play the record and they're lip syncing. And what gets me is to watch them as it's fade, the records fade now and they're still playing. <laughs> You know, and, right, and, yeah, and right. uh, Doug Gray told me one time, he said, uh, I said, did anybody ever say anything to y'all of the fact that the guitars didn't have any cables coming out of them? They weren't plugged in or anything, you know, no, that's what they wanted us to do. And uh, did yeah, you, but everything on the air was like that. Everything was lip sync. The interesting thing is uh, the, 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 the lineups on all these shows, uh, most of these shows, I, sh I should say, that we're talking about was very, very eclectic. It was almost like uh, Bill Graham had put together the bill for these shows. You know, yeah. nobody, nobody, nobody thought before Bill Graham to have a lineup with uh, Johnny Winter, the Allman Brothers, and Robbie Shanker or whatever. Yeah. That's, you know, above, this is something I'm sure you know, but few people remember that. Uh, the Allman Brothers live album, they weren't even the first night the headliner. Uh, Johnny Winter was. Yeah. But these these shows were very eclectic, and this is why it was never appointment viewing for me to watch the Midnight Special because you just had to wade through so much dreck to see the one band that you cared about, and then you could tell they weren't even playing. You know. Okay. Uh. So the second part of my question. Any. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's I've got a, a distinct memory of of and you know I'm old enough now that maybe it's a false memory, but it, it's uh, I, I remember seeing the amazing rhythm aces on Midnight Special. Oh yeah, wow. and they did unsurprisingly did Third Great Romance. Really? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you know I had heard the song, but seeing it live and I was like, man, this is actually pretty cool and uh it inspired me to pick up my guitar and learn how to play that song and i think you know that kind of 
you know, I kind of go back to that having played with Billy for 20 years now and not really coming up as a country guy, but, but hearing, hearing that band and, and remembering what it was like to figure out some of those licks and have that be part of my vocabulary is something that's kind of stuck with me. Right. What about you, Pat? Well, there was a, there was one that was also galvanizing, but uh, we talked about soundstage sort of in passing. And I remember, uh, would have been around the time Heaven Tonight came out because Peterson was still in the band. It was before Dream Police, but there was a soundstage from Summerfest in Milwaukee with a cheap trick. And this is before VCRs were widely available. So I saw it was coming on and I recorded it uh, on 8-track. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I recorded well, that, it from... That had to I be record, quality. <laughs> I recorded it, just to be clear, I recorded it, I hauled my stereo downstairs the living room from my bedroom and i had two microphones and i put the microphones in front of that one little like seven inch crummy tv speaker rca and for, <laughs> yeah and recorded from from television from that television speaker onto a track that that soundstage performance and i thought that was really 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 cool God, and i thought been, i was the only one that did that Yep, yep, yep. Recorded off the off the TV. I used to put a yeah. recorder in a real real recorder, a little bitty one, in front of the TV set, and record the things off of in concert and stuff. It's yep. weird how how obsessive uh, the the music thing can make you. Because uh, I've got a friend, a friend and colleague, known each other for a long time. His, his name is Jeff Salon, and he's at uh, Texas Monthly now, and he has very, very strange and eclectic tastes. Uh, you know, the more obscure it is, the better. And uh, he was actually Bob Chris Scow's editor at The Voice for a while. But he has this vivid memory of uh, hearing Wildfire on the radio oh. when he was driving. My, Michael, Michael Murphy? Michael Murphy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. uh, while he was, he, he grew up on Long Island and he was driving somewhere with his parents that came on the radio and he was just transfixed by this song and they got to where they were going and then they went home and he immediately went to his room and he turned on the radio in his room and sat there with a cassette recorder waiting for them to play it again. <laughs> yeah, I did that uh, kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. sure. Uh, so what exactly so, uh, was the question, Billy, before I answer? What was the question? Uh, it was just, we had talked about things we saw on tele, on uh, music-based television shows. The, the earlier question was uh, transformative things, and, and you had uh, three, I believe. And then this question had two parts. What, what was something that either uh, made you know that you had outgrown looking at it or, or it, had gone, it had gone somewhere you didn't want to go anymore? Like Jim said, when it started being lip synced and started being prepackaged and, and uh, it quit being like, you know, I, I remember that with the Midnight Special again, when it quit being like, you know, gritty ass real rock bands and it started kind of being manufactured group, uh, you know, manufactured thing. And that was one part. And the second part is what's something you saw that still stays with you today? I meant that oh, influences okay. the music you play or, are the music you write, or the music you buff in your case, the music you write about, you know? Well, I can I can seriously say it's not the music I write about because I write a lot about, I mean, not exclusively, but I write a lot about Southern rock and stuff. But <laughs> I, I, it clearly comes to mind when you say that. The first thing, and I mentioned it before we went on the air, uh, there was a show on Saturday afternoons that was called Flipside. And it would, they would, 
have an artist play live and then they would interview them. This was in 1973 and I had just heard of Edgar Winter and Johnny Winter and um, I didn't know that they would go on to become two of my favorite artists of all time. Uh, but I saw Edgar Winter on there and he was playing the song Dying to Live on a white baby grand piano, just him and him and the piano. And I thought, well, this is, I, I really like this. I didn't really dawn on me that it was about Vietnam and all that kind of stuff. It really didn't dawn on me at the time yeah. until later. But I liked that song so much that I, I had an album that had it on it. I think it was on Edgar Winter's White Trash. And this guy that I knew in North Carolina uh, had a way to record eight track tapes again, eight track tapes. Right. And he told he so he he told me to he had a bulk eraser. He would erase like they used in a radio station, like I used in a radio station, and erased the eight track one of the eight tracks and recorded Edgar Winter on it so I could play it in my eight track player. Dying to Love became one of my favorite songs, and then he did a song called Keep Playing That Rock and Roll too. And, you know, real that. upbeat song. Yep. Yep. Got to keep playing. That keep playing that but, rock and roll. That was almost like an AM hit, right? I yeah, just, it was. And I used to do that he, on my transistor late at night. <laughs> he, uh, Edgar and Johnny and the whole extended family, including Rick Derringer and Jerry LaCroix and all that became, uh, I don't know, just huge in my life. It was them and Alice Cooper and that was right before I got into my New York Dolls phase and um, all the New York bands and long before, I mean, a good little while before Kiss ever came around, but I, I mean, yeah, uh, Edgar Winter on flip side. There you go. Uh, Billy, better look at the clock on the wall. Yeah, I'm watching it, man. In fact, we, yeah, we probably ought to wrap up. Uh, I'll tell you what, though, this is a been a pretty good panel. Uh, well, it got and, started and, and, on these TV shows. Yeah, we finally did about halfway through. But uh, <laughs> I do, I do, I did something that, I, that that I'm noticing about this uh, the, the last few weeks that uh, Jim and Patrick have been on the show, and and above it was something that uh, I had kind of noticed before because I've been working with you now for what six, seven years, something like yeah, that. Yeah, quite a and, while. Uh, it uh, it's just it's uh, it's how similar all our kind of backgrounds and experiences are, given the span of years that that Beach brought up a minute ago, man. That you know we're all older than him, and and uh, everybody's a few years apart, and and but the experience is just about the same, even though you. What about the geographic around. distance too? Well, that's what I was just bringing up. Yeah, the uh. You know the 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 you were you were Spartanburg. You did have you did have one thing that uh you did have one thing I don't think the other three of us had very much of you uh, didn't have the same experience for Spartanburg to be such a small town. The Marshall Tucker Band they were huge, man. I mean, yeah. at, at the time at that time in the early seventies, I mean they were an arena band. They they were they were a big time huge band. For such a 
for Spartanburg not being any bigger than it is or Greenville either, really. But uh, I, we, I didn't have that any. The closest thing, you know, was Houston, and there was big stuff from there. But even then, Houston had two million people in it, so it it wasn't like it filtered down very much. And uh, and Jim, you guys being from Central Iowa. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know what? It was before. It was way before Slipknot. So yeah. <laughs> right, right, oh, thank yeah. God. I was, I was, I was writing. I was writing about music in uh, in Des Moines for the Des Moines Register when Slipknot was coming up, and the guy, the guy who was working with them in the studio in West Des Moines, called me up and said, "You got to come see these guys." And I was like, "They do what? They're wearing what? 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 Yeah. what? But yeah, I mean, to your point, to your point, Billy. <clears throat> You still had, you know, in Houston, you had ZZ Top, and so you you had you had uh, Lightning, you had all this incredible blues history in Central Iowa or in Iowa as a whole. We had two things. This is where the Everly Brothers lived for like a year, and this right. is where Buddy Holly died. Right. Oh God. What? And y'all had one. Y'all had a third thing. Butter cow. Y'all had butter cow. <laughs> And, you know, we had we had this band called Gone, G-O-N-N, that had a song called Blackout of Gretley that's on the Nuggets <laughs> compilation that was just freaking awesome. And it's like Dirty Water played with two different notes, but it's pretty cool. Uh, well, so- and we we, 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 we we can't leave out my favorite long-lost uh, trio from Iowa, Turds of Misery. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I and let me just take this moment, man, to pay tribute to Patrick for writing such a great song. <laughs> Thank you, Billy. You're uh, welcome, man. All right, I got a ring right. off, guys. Uh, well, maybe next week I'll get in touch with y'all when we pick a topic. And if you guys have an idea for something we should do a show on, let's have it. Because all right, all right, yeah, all right. Well, thank you, Billy Eli. Thank you, Jim Hemphill, and thank you, Patrick Beach. See thank you, guys, man. See y'all next week. See you guys in the sand pile. All right. See you. Hi, this is Billy Bob Thornton. <laughs> this is J.D. Andrew. And it's Teddy Zigzag, and we're the Boxmasters. You're listening to the Kudzu Radio Hour, the only radio show where you can hear the Marshall Tucker Band or Willie Nelson one minute. And the Boxmasters the next. And then maybe Frank Zappa, or then maybe Freebird. Or <laughs> and J.D., you didn't sound like you were reading that at all. Hey, Michael Buffalo Smith. Hey, Michael Buffalo Smith. Uh, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Bubba. There you go, man. We did our best. (laughs) You must feel like I choke you, but I love you like a baby.
Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Kudzu Radio Hour. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, please help us spread the word throughout your circle of friends, your social media, or whatever, that the Kudzu Radio Hour is indeed back, alive, and kicking. We might not be kicking as high as we used to, but we're kicking. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks again for listening. We appreciate it. And uh, remember, this program is brought to you by the fine folks at Springer Mountain Farms. Fresh, organic chicken responsibly raised on family farms with no antibiotics, no hormones, no steroids, no animal byproducts ever. Healthy, healthy, healthy. Get more information or order online at SpringerMountain.com. That's SpringerMTN.com. Not only is Springer Mountain Chicken healthier for you, it is mm-mm good. <laughs> it really is. All right, folks, we will see you next week. Until then, take care and keep on rocking. <laughs>